Welcome, adventurers. Though our stories draw closer together, though many connections are now made, there are still stories that lie unfinished. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon A delirious dream, burning fever, blurring into biting chill, sweat-soaked, shivering, always shivering, detached. On the rare occasions when enough thoughts could be strung together to attempt to ponder the circumstance, or possibly to move, it never worked. What was he? Did he dwell within a body? Or was he a spirit trapped in purgatory? There were visions, dreams that came from time to time, though what time dwelled between them he could not say. Beats, bars, bells, days. It had started with the mist, the green mist, mist that had formed the idea of a body, like the impression of something you might glimpse in a cloud. But as the darkness fell between each image, a heavy curtain closing and opening, it became more a body the remains of a body. In the absence of anything besides darkness or reference, there was no way to guess at its true size. So why did he think it was tall? Why did he think anything? Why couldn't he think more? Maimed. He had been maimed. Fade. Draw the curtain. The picture. It was skeletal. He had been a man once. Fade. Draw the curtain. It was more than a skeleton. Desiccated flesh. Strips of hair. He had made a choice. To leave his life behind. To become... An adventurer. Fade. Draw the curtain. It should have become more, had more flesh, had more clothes, but it didn't. He had had a name. Fade. Draw the curtain. Did he look upon his body? Was he a spook, trapped, peering upon the remains of a vessel that had once housed his soul? Fade. Draw the curtain. He had had a name once. 
a ragged breath. The body, the oversized remains of the ravaged body. It should not have been able to draw breath, but it did. If it breathed and he looked upon it still, then it was not him. Fade. Draw the curtain. His name had been the ghastly head, now completely material, turned to look upon him. Three points of emerald light flared. Three eyes? He heard a raspy voice then, one that had been his once. I have saved this one for you, master. You have done well. I have urgent business to attend to. A bony hand reached out. In its palm, another brilliant green light encased in a gem. It whispered through bony teeth and missing lips. It turned out he was still alive. Agonizing pain. A scream split his lips. Snare knew the moment it was let loose, the dagger would find its mark. Looking about, he heard the sounds of breathing, of footfalls from all around. Alarion was down, Ortoval was down, and there were already others charging in. The big galoot, the one with a disgusting black beard, would be down soon as well. Escaping in this moment of confusion and chaos was his last chance, his only chance. Enemies guarded the way through which they had made their entrance. Directly away seemed to be his best option. Turning due west, he made for the nearest wall. There was a door. Limited time made choice an unavailable luxury. Snare's hand shot up and tried the handle. It went against everything he was to not check for traps first, to not see if the door was locked. It opened. He had Cinder's favor for the moment. Swinging the door just wide enough to squeeze inside, he scampered in and pulled the door shut behind. This he did with some care. The last thing he needed was an echoing boom heralding his location. He spun to continue his retreat and was stopped dead in his tracks. His face pulled into a frown. Cinder's favor was a fickle thing. Snare stood inside a closet, not quite two paces wide and less than that deep. His eyes shot up to the ceiling. Maybe there would be the same stone-covered roof that had been in the great hall, stared back from above. Muffled cries could still be heard from outside the door. Huh. The overweight human was lasting longer than he had expected. Extra time that would have been crucial if there was anywhere to go. He pondered, sneaking back out. What other choice did he have? It was then that his eyes finally got through to his brain on why they had not stopped staring at the ceiling. 
at least the place where the back wall met the ceiling. There was a worn track there, like the stone of the wall had been drug along the stone of the roof repeatedly, wearing a groove, not much wider than a finger. Most people would make nothing of it, but then most people would have broken in the dungeon below the baron's manor. Now, where was the latch, switch, or plate? Despite the imminent danger, he forced himself to search slowly, methodically, even though the sounds of struggle could no longer be heard from outside. Who knew how long he had, but for the first time in years, Ford Beer's voice came to him. Panic is what separates the predators from the prey, and at times, living from the dead. Every living thing suffers from fear, boy, but not everyone is controlled by it. The perfect thief lives on the edge of fear at all times. And then, at last, not one but two small stones, stones that looked to be nothing more than fillers trapped between imperfect joints. Snare pressed them both, and the back wall slid away, nearly silent. He dashed through, and four beats later, the wall slid closed behind him. demon hung above, framed by the sickly sky. Soul, which sat just above the horizon, struggled to push pink and orange light through heavy clouds, dark with unrealized rain. In the filtered light, it was hard to tell what was shadow and what was ruined stone. The air was heavy, hard to breathe. It clung to her skin made sweating pointless. She moved, moved much too slowly, her feet pounding on the remnant cobblestones of a long-abandoned street. It had been a city once. That was what he had told her, before the scourge of knolls had issued from the wastes. A flash flood over parched earth, they had swept from the south with no warning, and in a span of time that lasted less than two days, one of the biggest cities of the province was no more. Artisport fell, and the war began. A war that lasted nigh six years. Though no one dwelled there after the horror, the city did find a way to make one last contribution to the war. Buildings were pulled down, streets pulled up, untold tons of stone used to help in the war effort, to build a new defense against the seemingly endless hordes of knolls. Over the years of conflict, the knoll's reef was born, a wall that stretched from the mighty Shalshalis in the east all the way to the Bristleback Mountains in the west. The Knoll's Reef stood to this day, but Artisport, once a shining beacon of trade and culture, remained ever empty, broken and barred from the province, 
by the very wall built of its bones. Other than the desert beasts which skittered amongst the broken foundations, hollow buildings and fractured walls, no one ever returned there. None suggested it be rebuilt or recovered. There had been too much death there, too much loss. What was once a city became a thing of sorrow, and tales of spirits that haunted the place grew. No one in their right mind went there on purpose. And that custom, that one thing, had almost brought about the province's doom. For there was one that still dwelled there, one being with evil designs, the Emerald Scarab. And so they had come, Mela and her companions, came and joined in a battle, a perilous battle. Their journeys had made them strong, taught them many things, and their abilities with sword and magic were without peer. And yet the emerald scarab was hundreds of years old, made of some dark and evil pact. She challenged them all, pushed them to their very limits. Battered and bleeding, Mela's feet pounded on the stone. She was running as fast as she could, and yet it felt as if she was pushing through sand. The scarab was turning toward Rianok, hand extending out. She wasn't going to make it in time. Swimming through sand, swimming in silence. There should have been sound, but there wasn't. A single bony finger stretched further still. Rianok struggled to stand. She was moving too slowly. Where was the sound? A vertical column of divine fire roared down from the heavens, engulfing their foe above. But the emerald scarab emerged, robes and ruined flesh still smoking. The permanent smile of peeled back, withered lips turned, turned away from Rihanak and toward him. Why couldn't she run faster? Why wasn't there any God's cursed noise? The sickly green ray shot out, finding him there where he had stepped from behind the fractured fragment of a wall. Her mouth was open, lungs burning, she could feel the scream rattling, tearing her lungs, but still no sound. All slowed, further still. The beat felt like a bar. It started in his extremities. His hands turned to ash, wisping away, falling to the ground. His arms his body, his beard, his three-forked black beard, dust. Mela felt as if a fire had been lit inside her.
She breathed in flame and shouted it out, but it would not break the silence. Please, whoever watches behind my eyes, don't let this be. Please let him look at me one last time. But he didn't. His eyes, kind brown eyes, were the last to go. Ash and dust. The metallic legs were all that remained. They should have made a noise as they slumped to the ground. His name should have echoed throughout the runes. The name she screamed. Screamed so loud it felt her head should burst. Mela sat bolt upright. It was not silent. It rang out and then was swallowed by the nearby woods. Where was she? Her mind struggled to put events in an order, swam in confusion. But soon, all too soon, the thoughts came. The order of events. No, she thought. Please let me dwell in confusion. Anything but this reality. A small hand was on her arm. The urge to scream his name again was strong, but the little hand squeezed. Mela turned at last. Rianok lay on the ground beside her, her bedroll pushed partially away. She was propped up on her shoulder. There were tears streaming silently down the halfling's pale face, eyes cast down. It was all flooding in now. Mela felt as if she was being ripped in half, part of her realizing this was reality now, part of her trying to conceive of anything it could do to go back, go back and make some decision, do something that would lead somewhere other than here. She kept looking at Rianok. Never had she wanted something to happen and not to happen with all of her being. For Rianok to look at her, if she just looked at her. The little cleric turned her face up at last. Pools of blue shifting to violet, surrounded by whites fractured red. From lack of sleep, in tears, Rianhock didn't speak. She didn't have to. It was real again. Mela reached out to grab Rianhock's arm. No, please. She wasn't sure why she said that. It wasn't as if her friend could do anything. Rianhock's chest began to silently shake. One last week. Died on Mela's lips as tears of her own started. She fell back to the ground and wept. Rianok's hand never moved as they both cried. Mela had woken this way every morning for the last seven days. Every morning since Colborn had been killed. Erased by the Emerald Scarab.
somewhere not too far away, the muffled clank of metal. Sarkeesian standing watch. It meant soul rise would not be too far off. Mela did not fall back asleep. Instead, after her tears had finally passed, a parade of thoughts. How had it happened? How had they caught in here? In Engenar's lair, it had seemed like they would find nothing. Be left at yet another dead end in their search for the enigmatic emerald scarab. Mela remembered the uncharacteristic anger beginning to rise in Sarkeesian as they had scoured the chamber, did all they could to read every bit of writing contained in whatever form, be it letter or book. They examined everything from sculptures and artworks to the smallest trinkets. Sarkeesian herself had even sifted through the trash bin. The number of books were vast and on a wide variety of topics. Colborn had posited that given Enganar's nature, his life as a shapeshifter, and the heights to which he had risen, that it was his wont to consume as much knowledge as possible, to be prepared to step into anyone's life within the realm with as little interruption as possible. For a time, it seemed hopeless. But then the thread was found, a single grain of sand within the sandbar. It was a book of children's fables. In the front, in an angular hand, was a worn inscription for dedication. Happy sixth name day to my dearest Ergul. May your thirst for knowledge one day take you to unexplored heights. It was signed Abu Rabba. The names written there meant little in themselves. The absence of a last name or names made them not more than a curiosity. But as Colborn had leafed through the book, two fables in, at the beginning of a fable titled The Scorpion and the Crocodile, was written in a fluid, spidery hand. The moral of the story is that one's nature is one's nature, and it is unavoidable that only a fool would expect something to behave contrary to its nature. But that is never what I saw. I always saw that the scorpion should have been smarter, stung the crocodile at the last moment, after it had gotten what it wanted. There is no excuse not to be both deadly and cunning. It is in such way power is made. You have shown such qualities. It is why I have chosen you. There was no signature set to it, but it matched the writing of a mostly burned scrap of paper that had been found trapped behind a bookshelf. The scorched fragment was the beginning of a letter. Faithful servant, our mouthpiece in Borgen has spoken my name. Please issue a warning. If it passes his lips again, I will come north. The next letters were an A, and possibly an N, 
And, most likely, that was all that remained. The book and both inscriptions were written in a language no longer practiced. Erisket, a language used by the old tribes that used to dwell deep in the glass sea. The tribes had been largely destroyed by the same surge, the same upwell of knolls that had taken Ardisport. And in that same time, the spectacular city of Elhaya Mara was said to have been lost as well. On first inspection, this was all just fragments and bits, but bits that added up to another connection. Rianach had read the letter from Anganar to Lord Sinvarista, the letter condemning the use of her name, and now a fragment of someone who had written to Anganar bearing the same warning, claiming the name, which left little doubt of whose name it could be, and the direction. She would come north, putting her south of where? South of the Grey House? Of Borgen? Or was the lost language the final clue? Was it much further south? South to the ruins of Alhaya Mara? Come, join me next week as the final knots are tied in the tapestry that is Tales from the Dungeon. Stay tuned next week for part four of Yonef's Fate. Thank you.